Join me, Professor RPG, as I sit down with friends, colleagues, and special guests as we reminisce and discuss role-playing games that left their mark on us. Expect to see all sorts, from western style to Japanese and even tabletop. So stay a while and listen, and let us trigger those memories of tales long since completed. Relive that fantasy you hold dear, and come along with us, adventurer, on this quest into the past. Welcome to the RPG University. Forces of the West fell, and Mariah's castle was taken. Prince Rolfs of the East took her hand by force, but she never stopped yearning for Draco. Oh, my hero, so far away now, will I ever see you smile? Love goes away like into day it's just a fading dream I'm the darkness you're the stars our love is brighter than the sun for eternity for me there can be chosen one must I forget you a solemn promise will autumn take the place of spring what shall I do I'm lost without you speak to me once more we must part now, my life goes on, but my heart won't give you up. Ere I walk away, let me hear you say, I meant as much to you, so gently. You touched my heart, I will be forever yours. Come what may, I won't age a day, I'll wait for you always. Joining me this week to talk about Final Fantasy VI is founder of the new nerdy site, That Nerdy Site, and who apparently may also moonlight as an opera singer, Mr. Trevor Starkey. Trevor, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. This is, uh, glad, glad you could be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do not miss my days singing in choir, uh, as <laughs> evident by my operatic rendition of Celeste's theme. Oh, you, you nailed it. You nailed it. It was beautiful. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I apologize in advance for any uh, followers that you lose as a result of this episode. Uh, it, it'll be people will be expecting to be serenaded by your beautiful voice every single episode. So then you're setting will, a very be... high bar, sir. You're setting yes. a very, very high bar. Indeed, they will be either pleasantly surprised or disappointed when I do not return. 
True, true. But everyone can find you at the nerdy site. This new, uh, this new site that you just started, right? Yeah, that nerdy site, um, that nerdy site dot com at that nerdy site on Twitter, Patreon dot com slash that nerdy site. If uh, people are feeling generous and want to support, uh, we have uh, some podcasts out there. We have uh, some written stuff up on the site, reviews and, and the like. And it's kind of a, it's kind of our hub for pop culture. Anything we're nerdy about, really. So we're going to talk about video games, movies, um, wrestling, anime, all sorts of uh, kind of stuff in the, I would say, pop culture sphere of, of stuff. The podcasts we have are That Nerdy Site Show, which is kind of our um, catch-all, like, hey, let's just get together and talk about our lives podcast. We have That Ultimate Video Game List Show, which is uh, uh, something I've been wanting to do for a long time now, where I get together a panel every season and we put together a list of our um, uh, top 20 games, but the rules are that there can only be one game per franchise and only one game per console. So if you have like Mario 64 on the list, you're not going to have Ocarina of Time on the list necessarily. So uh, oh, that's, okay. that's a fun show we've been, uh, we've been doing. We've got a few episodes of that out uh, at this time, and then our uh, we've got our film podcast, which is that wannabe film class right now, uh, where um, uh, Ben Bellevue, Chloe Naylor, and Logan uh, Wilkinson kind of sit down every week, talk about a movie um, based off of a monthly theme that they kind of settle on. So our first theme, uh, for example, is movies of the two thousands, and they've uh, they take turns each week, kind of picking. Uh, the movie they want to talk about. So they talked about Mamma Mia in the first week and iRobot in week two. Um, I don't know as of uh, recording what the future weeks are going to hold, but then at the end of every month, they bring on guests to kind of talk about a movie that they want to bring to the, the table that fits within the monthly theme of the show. So uh, so that's our, our film show. Um, as of recording, we've hit our first uh, kind of Patreon milestone, which is going to unlock our that anime show, which is going to be held uh, uh, done by Christian Puente uh, at Pixel Brave on uh, on the Twitter and and uh, in kind of the the wider community, I think we have, um, and he's going to be doing anime stuff. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of our our lineup at the very moment. Cool. Uh, we're very excited about it, and uh, and yeah, it's been uh, been going well so far. Great crew, great crew. Love love all those. All those people you just named. But yeah. we are here today to talk about a little game called Final Fantasy VI. So let's jump right in. Espers and magic and half-breeds and overthrowing an evil clown has touched both of us and along with millions of other players in the past. But this game originally came out in Japan on April 2nd, 1994, coincidentally my birthday, it was then localized and brought over to the West, or to the United States anyway, on October 20th of that year. But unfortunately, Europe and Australia did not get it until March 1st of 2002 with the Game Boy Advance port. So they Oof. definitely, ugh, yeah, they lucked out. And other notable releases, just to kind of get all you listeners' minds in uh, kind of the headspace of when this game came out and what else you might have been playing at this time in 1994. Donkey Kong Country, the first one came out. Earthbound came out, which I'm sure at some point we will have on RPG University. Super Metroid, Sonic and Knuckles, Doom 2 came out. And one that really blew my mind, the first Tekken was released in Japan in 1994. So that that blew my mind. Mega Man X2, Warcraft, the, the original Warcraft came out. Orcs and Humans, Wing Commander... 
uh, and Super Star Wars Return of the Jedi, just to name a few. So quite quite the gamut of titles that are many of which are still going strong their franchises so yeah good to, a, good to see that was a decent year yeah wasn't pre, too bad pre world of warcraft days yeah back when it was still an rts and really i remember that blew well. up the genre blew up yeah but we're not here to talk about those games we are here to talk about final fantasy 6 now trevor uh, where did you first get your first, or where did you get your first experience with this game? Did you get it like right when it came out? Like, what were you doing? In uh, I mean, I, in, in nineteen ninety four, I was nine, so it's all a blur as to like if I played it immediately when it came out. But I feel like I probably did because I loved Final Fantasy two uh, at the time, and so I'm pretty sure when Final Fantasy three came out. Uh, to the to the SNES, I I'm sure I was seeing it in Nintendo Power and begging my parents to get it as soon as it, it launched out here. Um, I'm if I had to guess, it was probably like a Christmas game that year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I played it very early on, many many a time on on the SNES, and then I've bought it on pretty much every other thing it's come out on since. Um, I remember like my the original PlayStation. Uh, I was joked was like my Final Fantasy machine. Yeah. Um, and and. Like, playing Final Fantasy VII there, when the last game in my mind I had played was Final Fantasy III, I was very confused and very upset that I had missed four games. Uh, mm-hmm. And it wasn't until, like, a few years later, uh, in the dawning of the internet era, that I was able to piece together that, oh, it was Final Fantasy VI, just they renamed it uh, over here for reasons. Um, yeah. So I didn't miss Too much. hard. American players need easy games. These yes. games are too hard. Yeah, oh, I, I played Final Fantasy Mystic Quest a lot, too. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Which would you say is your favorite port or version um, I of always, Final Fantasy VI? Uh, like, I lean toward the uh, the Game Boy Advance uh, remake, um, or, or port, mm-hmm. I guess, because um, I... I've, I enjoyed it on, like, the PlayStation, but the disc-based versus cartridge-based loading meant, like, there yeah. was a whole bunch of extra time um, put into the uh, the disc versions of uh, that you can get, like, on the PlayStation Network or the, the original PlayStation. Uh, so the when they brought it to the Game Boy Advance, it's a nice way to play it, um, albeit on a very small screen. So I'd probably mm-hmm. lean towards right now, like, loading it up in my SNES Classic and playing it on my big giant 60 inch tv yeah yeah the up until recently i would say like this snes classic like you mentioned the gba was my go-to port i loved it plus i had the game boy player for the gamecube so i was able to play on my tv that way so that was pretty nice plus it looked beautiful on the ds light like it was really crisp but it just looked great plus you got i'm trying to remember if there was bonus stuff in there. Yeah, there were I want to say there were some a couple extra espers. espers and like uh like a late yeah. game dungeon um got added. Yeah. Diablos from Final Fantasy 8 was added to it. That's mm. right. Yeah. He was one of the espers that was added. But for me, um let's see 94 I would have been 6. So, I think I probably played it the summer of 94 because i remember very vividly um and this story is actually up on it was one of the first stories i published on irrational passions that you can find um but i remember going it was a summer day and we had my family and our neighborhood had a garage sale 
and a friend a couple houses down had picked up this game and he's like oh you should come over and check out this game i just bought and i remember going over to his house and sitting down and watching him play the the beginning narsh stuff we're locking the moogles rescue terror and being just enthralled by like the music everything looked fantastic i was blown away but stupid me when i was a child I I went through this phase where I really wanted a lava lamp. And with my garage sale money, I was having an, quite the inner conflict between whether I should get my lava lamp that I had been wanting for a while or Final Fantasy 3, Final Fantasy 6. Uh, we went to the store and I decided on a lava lamp. That, uh, yeah, I uh, continued to regret that decision long into my adulthood but eventually i would pick up a an actual snes class or an snes cart um but i had picked up other ports of it prior to that uh most notably the anthology collection was the first time i i owned a copy of final fantasy 6 and that was the one on the playstation but yeah such a that looking back that's a real kick in the nuts i, I just gotta say going with a, a lava lamp that's fair. I, I think often of uh, how if I'd been more cognizant of what my parents were doing, I would have stopped them from selling like our original Atari 2600 at a yard sale mm-hmm. and, and so many other like or the the time in college when I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just take all these games to game crazy and, and turn them in because mm-hmm. I need like a little bit of money for rent or something like that. <laughs> and oh, yeah. I'm getting like 25 cents for half these things. I, I, mm-hmm. I would go back and be like, you can find another way. <laughs> Yeah, I I mentioned this on a previous episode with Cameron Abbott from Handsome Phantom when we were talking about Dot Hack, how I had traded in most of my PlayStation Two collection so I could pick up a PlayStation Three when they when it launched, and I'm still looking back on some of those games I traded in. I traded in a bunch of the Dot Hack games, the Shadow Hearts games, which luckily I have been able to get uh, get copies back, but it's just like oh why uh, bad bad that was a bad decision but cameron mentioned you guys had talked about dot hack yeah. and, uh, and i was like oh i look forward to that because yeah I, I have like all those uh games i remember mm-hmm. just a quick aside on, on those was uh, uh, a friend of mine came back from e3 going into my senior year uh and brought me back like the demo disc for infection and like i played it and i was like oh this is really fun and ended up like getting into that whole series so oh nice yeah you uh you can look forward to Cameron doing a beautiful retelling or uh, speaking of the Epitaph of Twilight. Hmm. So that was his reenactment. So Excellent. Beautifully, beautifully done. But yes, now with Final Fantasy VI, did you have like a set party like you always went to? Like throughout your various playthroughs, like characters you just always had to have? Uh, I, I, yeah, probably often, uh, especially for like late game stuff. I usually probably stuck to like Locke, Sabin, Edgar, uh, and then depending on kind of the mood, like I might go with Gogo cause I would like customize mm-hmm. his, um, uh, his commands so I could have, you know, somebody else who could use a chainsaw or something like that. Um, but maybe like Celeste was, uh, uh, I think one of my mainstays as well. Mm-hmm. Like I would switch between uh, her and Tara as like the dominant magic users. Yeah. I, I 
I am apprehensive of sharing this little bit of info, but I did not realize until probably a year and a half, two years ago, that with GoGo, you could change what commands he has. Oh, it's, I mean, like, it's, it's never explained anywhere. It's, I, I don't even remember how I found out. Maybe it was I like. I saw it on, like, a it, live stream. It's like, no way. Yeah. Like, like, I remember finding it out during that era. So maybe it was, like, a tip or in a Nintendo Power magazine or something like that. Uh, or mm-hmm. maybe I just accidentally stumbled onto it one day. Because, like, that was also, if you, like, if you didn't know, that was the only place really you could go and find the the Blitz codes to, to do uh, yeah. any of Sabin's attacks and stuff. So, um, like, yeah, I, I I remember doing that and, uh, and yeah, playing around with GoGo like that um, was, uh, that, like, yeah, that blew my mind. That I was like, oh, like, not only can he mimic, um, you know, other people's attacks, but I could, like, completely steal anybody else's special commands uh and and work them in if if i don't want to use you know magic or something like that want to sacrifice items um i was like that that blew my mind that like he was that customizable he or she yeah depending on the the theories do you believe it is uh the previous captain uh Uh, friend daryl daryl uh I, i like that fan theory so i like i go for it especially like you have the little teases in the credits that maybe allude to it and stuff um uh so i i like the idea that like something happened to daryl and she lives on in gogo mm-hmm. now bigger cut do you think kind of like how gilgamesh jumps kind of universes and everything do you think gogo from final fantasy 5 is the same gogo from final fantasy 6 because their designs are fairly similar yeah i mean it's like i suppose it's possible um uh, I also think they just really like that character, and since uh, uh, so they they stuck with the design, or they like that design, just like mm-hmm. like uh, all the Gilgamesh designs. Um, but admittedly, like uh, five is one of those that I've only played like once or twice, so <laughs> so much of that is is also a blur because I think I only played that one like really in the PlayStation One era um, when it oh, okay. came when it came stateside. Um, so I honestly can't speak too much to that GoGo. Okay. Okay. So what are some of the moments that, like, really stand out to you in from this game? Like, what sta- sets this apart in, like, a highlight for your gaming memories? So, yeah, um, I was talking to a friend not too long ago about Final Fantasy VI, and, and the reason it has, like, lasted the test of time as one of my favorite games, if not my favorite game, um, is that especially from like when I played it when I was nine, it opened up a world to me of, like, this is what stories can be told Mm -hmm. in video games and and like i was i was even talking about it in the context of i don't think i had seen star wars yet so the the idea of like this small band of rebels fighting off this empire that also has a joker-like character it just like it blew my mind how the 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 cast of characters it has the story it has um the depth it has um uh, in terms of particular moments, obviously uh, uh, the opera scene, as uh, has been referenced on the episode, um, jumped out as be- like that. That song is just beautiful, and and because I was a dumb kid and didn't remember like the lines you had to say, I would get those wrong um, uh, until I like, oh, I got to go and do the song again or something like that. So it got drilled in my brain early on of of kind mm-hmm. of that element of storytelling and, and figuring out like. Uh, like appreciating how they used the music and the limited 
you know, uh, uh, MIDI files of the Super Nintendo to not only like tell a beautiful song, but also like put a voice to a character in that way. Um, similarly, you have like Kefka's laugh is a, a very iconic kind of um, sound file from that game. Um, and then uh, specifically the um, the fact that halfway through the game, the world ends. Uh, like yeah. the, the bad guy gets everything he's going for. Um, that like I, I it broke my nine year old brain that that kind of thing could happen. Um, and then I had to like pick up the pieces and go and like find my band of characters all over again. Um, I, I, I loved that it it goes in that direction. And instead of like you win and you save the day and you fight off Kefka and the world is saved, like no he destroys everything and you have to like the second half of that game is about yeah. rebuilding and 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 bringing your people back together uh, and bringing the world back together to fight off this you know malevolent being that you touched on it with the whole turning from world of balance to the world of ruin how even today i think i think some games have done it but the it's so hard hitting how the game sets up and really had the game ended right then it would have been a strong it would have been a fairly strong ending i think like the betrayal from the empire and then everything with the espers and then you go and tackle kafka it's like oh yeah i saved the world that that works but the fact that things don't go to plan and how everything gets destroyed and you see I remember, I still to this day, one of the most impactful memories I have of this game is during that destruction scene of the world being shifted and uh, the world and towns being like torn apart and people falling into crevices and towns like the NPCs just dying. And yeah, it's brutal, but it's so impactful because. This whole time, it's like we're the we're the returners. We got to stop them. We got this power. We have Terra. She's our light of hope. We got this. We have to stop them here and now. And you lose. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and, and and it is violent. Like the world. Not only does yeah. the world split apart, people fall into the crevice, and then the world like crashes back together. So you know that person yeah. got squished. Oh uh, yeah, and yeah, it's it's a it's a violent end of the world kind of depiction for uh, especially for the era. Mm-hmm. and how you have to like escape but then things don't go well and then you wake up on a deserted island with Celis and Sid her like adoptive father and then he gets sick and you have to kind of like feed him but you could inadvertently kill him by accident and it's just it's that that push it's like it gives without using narrative it makes the player want get the gang back together to fight Kefka. It like it, we, you've gotten used to these characters, you start to develop these relationships and then everyone's torn apart. So without I don't think this game needs to blatantly tell you just through text boxes, okay, I have to escape and get my get the band back together. It's the player wants to. Like it, there's that kind of need to do it. To set things right, which I think this game really nailed. Yeah, I think it does it a great a job uh, in the in the first half of the game, like really giving you time um, with each of the characters and giving you a compelling story with each of those characters, 
um, so that you you do want to kind of see how those stories play out in in a new world. Um, like I love when the game kind of does branching paths, and you you go and follow uh, Locke, and you go and follow uh, uh, Sabin, um, uh, and who's the third one in that uh, branch? Uh, it's Terra. Terra. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, like I, I love uh, kind of getting. <coughs> um, each, each of those, uh, like you get dedicated time with these characters, so that um, yeah, I have maybe my core group of people, but if other people resonate with you, um, you might use them as your main characters, or mm-hmm. or you're going to be forced to use um, the characters in things like the Phoenix Cave, where you've got to split your group out into two teams, or the final. Um, Kafka's Tower, where you have to split your yeah. your party into three teams. So if you haven't been like using everybody kind of equally, um, you're going to struggle there. You do have to kind of um, uh, play with your entire um, palette that they've given you to to play around with. Yeah, though that forced uh, the being forced to test out and really try out more characters and see what each is about, because unlike the previous games, well, I guess at this point in the States, if we're talking Final Fantasy 3, the fans are kind of used to the idea of each character being its own separate class. Like, you have the Machinist with Edgar, you have the Monk kind of archetype with Sabin, you have the Mage with Terra, the Blue Mage with... Um, Strago. Strago, yes. I straggled with... Or I struggled with Strago. Um... Being able, like, that was kind of a known commodity, like a known system, because the last one we, a lot of people in the U.S. had played was Final Fantasy IV, where it was very class, each character was a specific class. Yeah. We didn't get that job system uh, departure with Final Fantasy V, so we were kind of used to that, but it forced players to really try some interesting characters and then develop a party for these big fights with... Uh, separating parties i remember when i played when i was younger thinking that the battle of narsh was much more difficult than i remember it's it's a lot easier than i remember it being yeah it's, when it, i was little yeah when you're when you're like young that is super stressful of this like seemingly never-ending army like marching towards you and you've got to split between your two or three parties to to fight them off um, mm-hmm. uh, and so you got to make sure you're like attacking every route and so that somebody's not slipping by and, and getting up to your, your weak people or something like that. Yeah. Um, and, and they do a good job even setting that up, like almost out the gate where you have, uh, where Terra has collapsed. And so it's like Locke and the, the Moogles, um, and you're kind of split up, mm-hmm. um, with this, with the similar mechanic. Like, I, I love that they introduce that really right out the gate and then they continue to come back to it and, and, and see how you've grown and, and how you maybe um, uh, kind of mix and match those pairings of characters throughout the game. Uh, that yeah, it like when you're young is super intimidating because it's not something you it's 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 um, multitasking in a way you hadn't necessarily had to do in those games uh, up until that point. But yeah, now coming back as it as an adult, it's like yeah, I I got this. I'm good. <laughs> I know yeah. how to I know how to I know which path to go and like just kind of plant my people in and we're all set. I know how to make a party. I know the moves to use. Yeah, it's, it's things like that. One aspect I think that is really cool that i've always really appreciated about this 
is the subtle uh, extra details and story you can pick up outside of the main story about characters, specifically stumbling upon Gao's father who abandoned him in the Velt. Yeah. Or the nods on how could Realm actually be Shadow's daughter? Yeah. Things like that. Yeah, like when you when you stay at the ends with Shadow and you get these extra like flashback cutscenes mm-hmm. um, that you only get with him and your party and stuff. Um, and at the same time, like even mixed with that, I remember like always hating when Shadow would like leave my party um, because mm-hmm. he's just a mercenary and oh he he like I just paid for him to come join my party and he's here for two fights and he bounces. I'd be like, well, no, I'm gonna <laughs> I don't want him to bounce yet. So I'd like reset the game and reload mm-hmm. a save until like the the story beat when he would actually have to leave because I'm like I don't want to I don't want to have to do this with two people or or whatever. Um, but like I I love that like they they threw in that chance and randomness into that game. Um, and yeah, those, the extra little tidbits of, of side story and, and, and finding uh guy's father was like a, like a surreal, you get like an entire extra scene. If you go there um, mm-hmm. and Gao gets all dressed up and tries to like, uh, tries to make things right or forgive his father or whatnot. And, and he's still, he's just a loon. So mm-hmm. <laughs> like he, Oh yeah. He, he's like, not, yeah, he he it probably for the best that Gao didn't stick with him right. in the end, but and and found, you know, a new family of characters. But yeah, like I love it. even the the like the theory of Daryl as Gogo that we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Like I love that there's enough in there and the the game gives you enough like hints to some of that side stuff that isn't explicitly stated. It is it is very much like oh, the diehards can like dig into that stuff and can theorize and talk about it in a in a world that was like largely pre-internet, so it was like talking to friends at the um, at, at the um, like even the the fact that it had secret yeah. characters like Umaro and Gogo, like finding talking to friends on the on the playground, and being like, "Did you get this this weird Yeti man? Like, here's how you get him in the in, you know in the second world and stuff." Um, I loved, and that's that's one of the things that like Final Fantasy has continue to do uh for a lot of their stuff but i feel like this was one of those like one of the the one of their best implementations of that kind of Mm -hmm. um, storytelling yeah i don't think i'm hard pressed to think of another final fantasy that has done it better i like i i would definitely see a case made for final fantasy 7 um, with like the Vincent and Lucretia stuff as an example, um, but I think um, like for me, it's it's always going to fall. For mm-hmm. me, like Final Fantasy VII, a lot of the things that like people love about it, I love in other games that it that mm-hmm. did it first. Like yeah, um, you know, like like uh, the, those kinds of moments. You know, iconic characters dying. You know, for me, it's Tella from Final Fantasy IV. Um, like yeah. sacrificing himself and stuff. So, um, uh, so General Leo here. Yeah, exactly. he wasn't in your character one. for long, but yeah, rest in peace, Leo. Yeah, this, and that's like that. That's another thing. Yeah. Like I love that this introduces characters that like yeah, you're gonna have for a few moments. Uh, like Bannon in the in in the first part of the game as well. Uh, like you get him, you have him for like one little sequence, and then he's yeah. gone and he's just an NPC the rest of the game. Like, you don't see... And admittedly, I get why they don't do it as much in modern games, because that's significantly more time and resources you would have to dedicate to, like, building those characters out when they're only going to be there for, 
you know, an hour or two of the game. Uh, but it's still like it, it fleshes out the world beyond just your cast of characters, even starting out with Biggs and Wedge um, uh, yeah. on, on your party with Terra and they get like immediately like blown away. Um, but it still makes the world feel more um, uh, complete with these characters that, yeah, you know, they can fight. They have that ability. You, you've seen it in your, in your fight screens and stuff. Um, uh, I, I love those little elements. One character I always wish we, and still to this day, wish we had gotten a bit more backstory or information on was Ravis, the guy that takes Terra in. Yeah. Arsh. Yeah. Like you or, always, you uh, see him. Ar- Arvis, Arvis, not Arvis, Ravis. Yeah. yeah. Mixed up the left. Yeah. Um, but I always wanted to know more about his story because you see him right from the get-go with Terra. Like, he brings Terra back, and he's with... He seems to be, like, a right hand of Bannon or something, like a high member of the Returners. But you don't really know much about him. Yeah. And I always thought that was weird because he had, like, his own custom sprite, his own specific sprite and everything. Yeah, just, he definitely seems like the kind of guy that if they ever gave uh, Final Fantasy VI the remake treatment that you're getting for seven, um, that he'd get like a more fleshed out side story like uh, mm-hmm. Biggs and Wedge and Jesse are, are seemingly getting in that. Um, and yeah, it, it, it's definitely not something I ever like clamor for. I just kind of saw him as like, oh, he's the introduction for this character into this world. Um, and just uh, again, that like he's he's just one more character in this world that like all i really need to know about him for me was that he's he's on the side of the the kind of the rebels the returners Mm -hmm. um he's he's out there um trying to do his little bit of good and he sees that like his town is probably going the other way and he's trying to do his little part he sees that like tara is maybe a ray of hope and like she needs to get to uh to kind of the home base um like he he I'm trying to think if they're like what the analog in a, in a Star Wars type story would be, um, uh, but yeah, I guess like I, he's kind of the Owen Lars, I guess of of uh, of a New Hope, maybe uh, of like yeah, he's there, um, and he kind of sets he, things the on Biggs. the journey. He's the or the Bigs or Wedge yeah. until he's like yeah, he's, guess, he I has guess. a part to play and he's done some important stuff, but he's always on kind of the in the background and the back burner. Yeah, like. and yeah, that's I mean like. If if anything, I it it bothers me as a as a kind of a, a a spinoff of that thought is that like in the world of ruin we don't get really anything of the returners we don't ever find mm-hmm. out what happened to Bannon yeah. after um, uh, after the world uh, you know ended or, or any of that kind of stuff um, uh, and so I, w- I would have loved to have seen like oh maybe there was still a you know a pocket resistance that isn't just your party of people yeah um, uh, that is still somewhat organized and but at the same time like i like that it is you having to kind of bring those people back together everybody has kind of gone it's been a year everybody's gone their different ways they're trying to do what they can in their um own little uh, circumstances uh and and it's not a centralized like resistance force um, you have to drive that it would have been kind of cool if like you had to put back the re- like build the returners back up yeah which I guess you kind of are by reuniting everybody, but like in legit building a rebel force. But yeah, and at the same time, I mean, like even that, the fact that like you can basically as soon as you get 
Setzer um, back, mm-hmm. like you could theoretically go and try and take down Kefka with just your party of four at that point. Um, so like, I appreciate that everything else is, you know, um, optional extra realistically. Uh, but, but yeah, like you said, um, you want to bring those people back together. Uh, so I, I, the, there's a a trade off there because maybe that is something that they could have thrown more in there through some of that dialogue. But if they didn't know how many people were going to really try and invest in getting some of those characters back, it was mm-hmm. something maybe that got lost on the cutting room floor or something. So, what bosses really stand out to you? Because I think there's some a lot of good ones, and we we talked a little bit briefly before this recording one in particular. But outside of him, are there any other standout non Kafka bosses? Um. Uh. So like, it's. For me, it's the it's a lot of the weird ones. Like I remember, I like just mm-hmm. now. I'm thinking of uh, I want to say, not not Duncan. Whoever Duncan's like pupil was that you fight, yeah. Um, and and when when Sabin joins there. your party, um, like he's he's one I remember distinctly. I remember like Dataluma at Zozo. I loved his pose, like the sprite for Dataluma. Yeah. how his like hands and he's just like flying kicking at you. Yeah, um, uh, like. When you fight some of the espers before they end up joining you, I, like I always love those kinds mm-hmm. of um, those bet like the uh, Ifrit and, and Shiva, um, uh, and then um, oh, who's there? There was another one that I was thinking of, but it has escaped me. Um, oh, Atma really Wep- like like Atma Weapon Atma, yep. was one that like um, like I loved that one. And I don't even, I don't even know why, but it had like spinning gears in it. Like when mm-hmm. you would fight when it, and you'd charge up his like, cannon or whatever. Yeah, like it it would just like yeah. I mean the the sprite design in, in so many of the enemies in that game were like beautiful and and, and gorgeous. I love just kind of like going back and looking at them every now and then. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so those are those are some of the ones that like jump out to mind as as somebody like because I, I haven't played it in a few years at this point. Um, uh, but yeah, like those are like I, I always remember Atma, and and being like that's a weird name, and then f- like seeing later that oh probably should have been Ultima Weapon, um, and it was just a translation thing or whatever. Um, but uh, like I, like that being so closely linked to the you know the end of the world basically happening like that definitely sticks in my mind because of mm-hmm. that kind of uh, aspect. And then yeah, the the monster of the week that we'll get to, I guess, later in the show, um, is, is certainly another one of the iconic ones from that game. I love the lore aspect they incorporated with Atma weapon that you could kind of discover how it was like two weapons. One was like a weapon you could actually use. And the other was that ultimate weapon beast thing that could wreck you pretty easily. Yeah. I thought that was, that was really cool. I also loved the, um, albeit incomplete side quest of the the dragons that you can fight in the world of ruin yeah i always really really like those fights yeah those were always, like those were fun like those were the challenging fights that like mm-hmm. nowadays you get as like the end game stuff um and it was practically end game stuff um uh at the time too uh death gaze i guess is another one uh, mm-hmm. uh or was it doom gaze uh, whichever the like the Depends on the version you're playing, because yeah, I think fair. it was Doom in some ports and Death in others. Yeah, like the fact that that like that he 
would just attack you in the as you were flying around the world randomly. That was that was terrifying for me mm-hmm. <laughs> um, until until you killed him. Um, and I get like in in that game you don't see him coming versus like in uh, in Final Fantasy VII when you're flying around an ultimate weapon can like. Um, fly into you um mm-hmm. it was way more terrifying uh and then the design of of doom gaze also like equally horrifying kind of like this yeah. bird of death creature yeah so in in you had mentioned that you haven't played uh through final fantasy 6 in the past few years i'm curious if you've looked or what your experience is with like the fan community or like fan mods with final fantasy 6 uh, I don't. Do you do you know anything about them? I don't know. Like the the only one I can think of that that I'm aware of is like when they did the the Steam port. Um, they put the like the new sprite designs basically over top mm-hmm. the old designs, and so I I want to say I remember seeing stories about fans modding the old designs back into that game. Um, but that's yeah, I think that's really the only thing I've experienced. I've not I've not delved into much of the. Okay. The modding community on that one. Okay, so there are a two, especially two in particular, um, ROM trailer or like ROM hacks for the Super Nintendo version of Final Fantasy VI. One is called uh, Final Fantasy VI: A Brave New World, which retools, um, adds a bunch of stuff, changes the Esper system, so it's much more customizable. And you actually can invest points into the stats you raise. It's insane what you can do. Um, let me bring out. Uh, but it completely changes it. I would highly recommend checking it out. It adds a bunch of brand new game mechanics to the title, expands upon things, fleshes and deepens other mechanics. It's incredibly good. But the one I'm currently playing through right now that I'm having an absolute blast with, it's called Final Fantasy VI Beyond Chaos. It's like a it's a randomizer, if you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. But basically with this, it doesn't change the story at all, but it changes the, uh, the sprites you have, the music that's in the game, the palettes of some of the attacks, the sprites of the enemies, um, the makeup of the enemy like mobs things like that all sorts of stuff the abilities of your characters so in the one i'm currently playing yoshi is king of figaro so like you can walk around as yoshi from mario okay and his twin brother is master chief all right so there's a little 16-bit master chief robo is Locke from uh chrono trigger um all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, Don uh, Don Corneo is Gao, who has <laughs> just a free Medio ability. He can just cast Medio for free. That's just one of the abilities he has. Okay. Um, and it's just crazy, and it's so much fun. And all of the Empire soldiers are babies crawling around in diapers. Sounds uh, like General Leo. Sounds like if Kojima played this, uh, decided yeah. to make this game. <laughs> General Leo is a cat. <laughs> all right um the emperor no bannon was vincent <laughs> just all sorts of crazy stuff loony stuff it's an absolute blast because you never know what you're gonna get um princess garnet from final fantasy 9 is realm 
Okay. Just yeah. a random naked girl sprite with blue hair is Strago. What an um, old fuddy-duddy. Yeah, no old fuddy-duddy. Well, he, he went through a gender gender swap, so now he's just a crazy plastic surgery. Like, uh, So he's just a naked chick now. But it's a lot of fun. If you're ever hankering for something a bit different, I highly recommend either Brave New World if you want to stick closer to a normal experience or if you just want to go buck wild i highly highly recommend beyond chaos so all right a lot of lot of lot of fun we are not the only ones that love this game so we are going to our around the web segment where I posted, I posed the question to people all across the internet to send us their their fondest memories from Final Fantasy VI, and here are some of the best I found. From Reddit, we have Saunders. They say, first timed the game within the last two years. Shortly after I finished, uh, first, first timed the. He's saying he played the game for the first yeah. time. First time the game. For, uh, yeah. First time the game within the last two years, shortly after I'd first time stuff, stuff like A Link to the Past and some Metroid games. And a reoccurring little detail that cropped up in those games was that they would end with a s- slate cleansing of some sort, be it a wish that healed the land or an explosion that cleared out all the bad guys. What I disliked about this was that it made my micro-skill efforts as a player feel invalid. I like the sensation of clearing out the mess, that each enemy I struck down was one less problem in the world. But when the game ends with something that makes it so that every bad guy is gone, or every misdeed is undone, it makes it feel like that work was wasted. Like spending hours trying to scrub dirt off your driveway, but before there's a flash flood that rinses everything spotless. Final Fantasy VI didn't give me that empty promise that everything was hunky-dory. The damage that Kafka had done needed to be fixed, and the little side quests were all the more meaningful because it meant I had done my part. Even if it wasn't cleaning up everything, my contribution was legit. And we touched a little bit upon this, how putting the world back together and reuniting everything was was a rewarding experience it didn't force you to do it because really getting everyone else was just a side was were side quests yeah like in the world I, of ruin i love that like you, you basically have to pull tara away because she doesn't like she's found a new calling as as kind of like hey all the kid like the kids are the only people left in mobiles and i gotta take care of them uh that's like that's her her duty um, and uh, and Futaba, another great kind of boss design there. Like, yes, yeah. like she's the only thing defending all those kids from Futaba, and so you have to like you have to go and, and like she turns you down the first time you try and like re-recruit her, and she says no, I got to do this, and then you can come back afterwards and um, uh, and grab her, and so like I love yeah things like that. I love. Um, uh, that like Strago has kind of got sucked into a cult thing, and once you get mm-hmm. Realm back, um, she basically says like we got to go save him, or like she's the only one who can really pull him out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it's it is uh, much like in the in the first half of the game, you get little, you get enough uh, nuggets of each of those characters and, and a lot of the relationships and stuff that like get fleshed out and kind of uh, you get 
uh, maybe epilogues for each of those stories in uh, in the world of Ruin to reward you for really bringing everybody back together. I loved Cyan's story, like how he was trapped in his own nightmare. Yeah, that's another like that's reliving. A, that one haunted me for so long. <laughs> like, that yeah. was so powerful, and you had to like navigate his dreamscape and how he's just being tormented by these. Larry Moan Curly, I think, was yeah. the enemy in, in his dream, and that was one of the, the more powerful for me. Yeah, like, you, you see him rescuing. have to, uh, like, his whole, his whole, like, everything in, in his story I love, because it's such a tragic, like, you see him basically seeing his wife and son go off to the afterlife on the Phantom Train, and shout out to the Phantom Train is another, like, iconic boss fight, specifically if you suplex the Phantom Train. Yes. Um, that wonderful meme. Um... I love how that's like turned into such a calling card of this game, like a minimum of this game. Yeah, uh, but yeah, like, and and, and I love, uh, like you were saying earlier, of of like you can you get the little uh, tidbits of of science story um, that he um, uh, like his his whole aversion to machinery uh, is one aspect, and then in the um, in, in addition to. Uh, like him being trapped in his own nightmares, he's also been like writing as a pen pal to uh, to somebody. I don't remember where a she's woman at. that had lost, but yeah, like her she, boyfriend yeah, her boyfriend died in Mobliz, where Tara had, and so you know that, like, no, he's clearly dead because I've been there. There are no adults left there, um, but he's been like keeping that love alive for her through like serving as a pen pal kind of thing. I love that, like, as an aspect of his character as well. And it was because he felt guilty or something for it. Like, he had... I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've got play, played that segment. Like, he felt... Wasn't it? I don't think he feels guilty, but he like he came upon her um, kind of in his travels and and saw, like, maybe he knew that Mobilis had, had been destroyed or whatever, and so she wasn't going to be getting a response, and so he took it upon himself to, to like, start responding. And it's... I mean, because it is... Uh, I want to say, because I, I want to say you can play like the first part of that like pen pal relationship in the. It, it's it's been a while now, but like you can pay somebody in Mobliz to basically be a, mm-hmm. a pen pal person. Like maybe he, you 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 send stuff on behalf of the guy in the world of uh, uh, balance um, uh, by paying mm-hmm. to like ship her you know her favorite record or whatever, um, uh, and then. In the world of chaos, like uh, yeah, uh, Cian like basically picks up the mantle and, and like that's how you find him is through the um, um, like the carrier pigeon that mm-hmm. flies out to Zozo or whatever, Mount Zozo. Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't remember it, it being like a him feeling guilty so much as he has he you know understands that loss and is trying to prevent her from feeling it by filling this role um, and. Uh, and ultimately, I think like you can get like an extra little scene where, if you go talk to her after he's in your party or something, he, he kind of like bashfully like acknowledges it that it's him. Maybe, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe this is just like my own like headcanon yeah. at this point. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, like, I remember you being able to send like one final letter explaining, like coming clean. Yeah, I remember that because like when you when you. Uh, 
like when you find him, he cleans up all the like the flowers and stuff uh, in in uh, his place. Um, it's, a, it's a fun little cutscene. But yeah, like that's just again like that's something that completely just filling yeah. in like a character moment for this side character that yeah I admittedly did not have in my party all that much um, mm-hmm. but his his sense of like honor and and the tragic nature of his story still makes him like a very iconic and memorable character the fact that like you basically mm-hmm. meet him when Kafka has killed his entire town <laughs> like yeah. oof you're meeting this guy on his worst day ever um and he still has the courage to fight through that. And also, shout out to being able to like find the girl you are writing letters to and talk to her and hear about how, oh, my boyfriend or whatever is still sending me letters and things like that. That you can actually find the person on the other side of this. Yeah. Like they included it. Yeah. I thought that was... Because, yeah, it could have just been nice like... Touch a little like oh this is a fun little side thing and you get like rewards for when you you know send the, mm-hmm. the letters or send the objects for him or whatever um, but yeah the, the fact that they they carry that through um, it's just another shining little like extra detail they didn't have to put in the game but I'm very glad they did mm-hmm. next we have CT1138 from Reddit and they say the Moogle present the Mughal presence in 6 is very reminiscent and nostalgic for me. So Mughals in the caves of Narsh are my fondest memories. Mughals, Narsh, Ultros, Zozo, Gao, and the Velt, and the Magitek Factory are what bring the nostalgic heart. Nostalgia heart. And for some reason, Umaro. Even though I never used him. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I'm, I'm very much in the same boat. Like, I, I would always go and get Umaro, and then I would just never have him in my party, because... Mm-hmm. He, he like he was such a weirdly designed and created character that he could only basically be in like a rage mode. He had like mm-hmm. two items that like you could equip on him. Um, Lizard orb was one. Yeah, like yeah, and you could you could basically only change Anchor. him through the relics that you you equipped on him. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I loved how the Moogle or Mog was like his boss. How Umaro the scary yeti was basically an underling of Mog. Yeah. I thought. I always thought was was funny. Yeah, it's a nice little like weird magical like connection that those characters have. Mm-hmm. And another one of those characters who both of them, where you wouldn't have any idea that you could get either of them unless you just were exploring and you kind of discovered that little side story. Yeah. Uh, and also shout out to the Moogle charm that removes um, random encounters. Yeah. At, like, I would often, like, uh, in, in, like, the final Kafka battle, I would basically mm-hmm. have, like, the Moogle charm on whatever my weakest team was uh, there, because I was like, I, like, I don't want to, I don't want them dying. I've got them strong enough that they'll be able to handle the boss fights that they can't avoid in this path, uh, but, like, I'm definitely going to throw the Moogle charm on them so they don't get, you know, waylaid the, the rest of the way there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that and, was it the... Uh, charm bangle maybe that, that basically did that for like half of encounters or something like that mm-hmm. um, which you could get as like a reward if you negotiated everything super well with the emperor in that the sequence in, uh, yeah. in vector like that was another one where like I loved that like it it took into account like you had to go and talk to you had to convince people but it was also you know the the ways you responded in the conversation and the negotiation and stuff and like 
there, there were optimal like paths that you mm-hmm. could get so you get the best rewards um, uh, or so you could get like everything you know, like I, and it's just one of those like yeah I could say the things that maybe I want to say in this moment or I'm gonna say the thing that I want to get like I want to get the Tintabar or whatever that's gonna restore health mm-hmm. with every step I take um, like d- just as a as another like it's not a side quest because you do do the thing but I loved that yeah it was it's like the precursor to the march down Junin or whatever uh, where mm-hmm. if you do that right you get you know the, the best uh, the best kind of things um, so yeah I love I love those little again just little touches that that kind of flesh this game out and uh, give you extra rewards for uh, how for being a diplomat basically in that in that yeah. section of the game. And it's such a great, like, recess playground kind of event where you can compare with your friends. It's like, oh, you got that? I didn't get that. I got this item or something. And before the internet and all that, when you could just look up a guide for whatever item you wanted, it was just trial and error and you finding out through word of mouth or maybe Nintendo Power. Maybe you got the strategy guide. I think there was a Super Nintendo strategy guide for this. I I think so, maybe. But just finding out through word of mouth that someone else you know got something completely different. Or maybe reloading up a save file and getting something completely different. That trial and error for, for moments like this are definitely memorable. Yeah, memorable moments. Next from Reddit, we have BearFan001. As a youngster, I would have my dad drive me to the local video store where this game could be rented. We would get it there as they open, and I would try and get through as much of the game as I could each time. I think the farthest I ever made was when the party reached the Esper cave. I didn't realize how far I was from being in the game until my parents got the game for me for Christmas. <laughs> in game, a great memory I had was when the story branches into three parts. I love that it gave every character up to that point chance to shine and we haven't touched on this but that that's bear fan makes a really good point for being such a huge cast this game really did a good job fleshing out and really making you care about the characters yeah yeah like like i was saying earlier like i i appreciate that it throughout the game it kind of forces certain people into your party so um for this chunk of the game, you are going to be dealing with these characters, and and that's when you're going to get a little bit more story on like Locke and Rachel and, and their backstory. Or um, you are gonna when you go to Thamasa, it is just um, like everything's in ruin, so they're figuring out what's going on at Vector, and you're just going with a small party, and you get introduced to Realm and Strago, and and so you've got like a condensed enough cast that you can introduce a few new people and kind of weave them into the story without being overwhelmed or without them being lost in the shuffle and, and kind of that that first section where it does break off into three paths and you get Locke going back and and picking up Celeste uh, and you get um, uh, Terra going off to Narsh uh, and then you get Sabin uh, getting or Sabin getting uh, uh, Cyan and Gao like each each of those little moments where you kind of add to the crew, um, it does it in a in a nice deliberate way that 
that does give time to each of those characters as opposed to, oh, you've got your crew of four people, well, you can keep those four people or you can bring, you know, these new people on. No, mm-hmm. it's going to make you play with those new people for a little bit to get a sense of what they can bring to the table. And you might still end up going back to kind of your maybe core group or, or, or some of your favorites or something, but you at least get a sense of what those people can do and what they can bring to the table. Also, shout out to Shadow preferring to stay in bed and sleep when Realm is trapped in the burning house. Yeah. And yeah. he only gets out of bed because his dog's missing. Yeah. Yeah. Good good job, Shadow. Yeah. Priorities. He, he has his priorities. He's probably, he, he, know. he was probably being haunted by a dream of his past about Realm. Yeah, probably. Probably. But shout out to knowing the value of sleep. Yeah. And a company. And, and, you know, it, it allows him to be very well rested to come in and save the day at the last minute. Yeah, and one shot, like, six enemies, six fire bombs, or bombs at once. Yeah. You know? Wish he could do that, like, when he's actually in my party fighting. Yeah. But, you know, Did you, uh, that was another thing, uh, we didn't, like, it's something I barely ever experienced in the game, but, like, this game was one of the ones that introduced, like, the, the idea of the limit breaks, where, like, when your characters are super weak, They'll randomly have a super strong attack, um, and I was just always ner- too neurotic to let them stay super weak very long. <laughs> so like yeah. I, I would almost never trigger those. Um, uh, but like, uh, like Shadow is the one who I think would get like, or who I think of the most in that regard. And it wasn't even his limit breaks, but like when Interceptor would randomly like come in and and do like an extra attack or something. Like I loved that. That was another element that that the game introduced to its combat. Um, and so it was like a risk and reward. Like, yeah. yeah, if you're if you're you're you know on the edge of death, you might die, or you might like have a life saving like um, end the battle, you know, uh, attack um, uh, randomly bestowed upon you. See, with me, I don't think I've ever actually seen one happen. So I think they're still myth. Oh no, like, I've never actually <laughs> seen them happen, and I know they're real, but it's like, but but you also that's news to play, me. Play it way too safe. Yeah, I play way too safe. But having Interceptor like parry an enemy's attack and then come in and rip their face off is pretty, pretty, pretty good. Yeah, just runs and deals crazy damage. But for the last around the web segment entry, this is my personal friend Greg, who is the one that had the game at that garage sale that I went over and checked out. <laughs> Who really got me into RPGs because this is the game that really kind of pushed me into the series because I couldn't read very well. So big games like this, never my cup of tea. But then watching him play this and the whole Narsh scene and the Magitech uh, fight or the Magitech walking into town and so good. Yeah. But he says... I remember staying up very, very late, trying to get as far as I could from the beginning. Usually, I'd end up somewhere in the middle of the Sabin arc when the game splits into three stories. I also remember saving the elixir that you can find in the very first clock when you get control of Terra and using on the Phantom Train to one-hit kill it. I also remember being shitty at the game and running basically from every battle, so I was in really bad shape fighting Atma Weapon on the floating continent. There was also lots of rumors on the internet that ended up being untrue, like you got something for going around Kefka's tower a bunch of times. I think it was resurrecting General Leo or something. It's true. This was like Geo City, like 
Oh, yeah. Internet coming up on a floppy disk. Yeah. Like the internet ramp and stuff days. Yeah, I never I never used the elixir on uh, on the Phantom Train, but I would, like, I would suplex him for the laugh, and then I would throw mm-hmm. a Phoenix down on him. And Phoenix just, down, yeah. Uh, off him uh, in, in the same fashion. But, yeah, that, uh, that game, and to this day, every time I'm playing a Final Fantasy game, I check every clock because... Um, that game mm-hmm. trained me to like look at the clocks oh, for yeah. items, um, and I'll still occasionally find them uh, in in a lot of Square Enix games. Um, so I love that, and I do remember um, talking the the idea of like bringing back General Leo. I remember like using Game Genie to try and like um, uh, like using a ton of random codes in Game Genie to like you could. Um, like play as General Leo, it would totally corrupt your file and screw up like other yeah. aspects of your game. But like, you could uh, you could play with General Leo late in the game, and you'd have like two attacks, and one of them would just be like it would wreck everybody and and, uh, and stuff. Um, but like the the trade off ended up being not as great when it was like okay, yep, <laughs> everything else doesn't work anymore. But it was still yeah. cool to to do every now and then and be like. Oh yeah, I can I, I can I can bring General Leo back from the dead and play with as him in the in the world of Ruin. Um, but yeah, like um, I I remember those kinds of like the the myths of that era of, of like mm-hmm. oh if you do this in uh, in Link to the Past you can you know find other things or um, uh, and, and obviously the ones you would get in uh, in Final Fantasy VII moving forward and stuff. Um, I had not heard about like. Um, if you went around Kefka's tower a bunch of times, you couldn't bring generally. I had not heard that myth back, uh, but I like it. I miss the days of weird ass, crazy cheat theories like this, like these and pushing the car, whatever, for Peekaboo in the old Pokemon games. Yeah. And I miss days was, when for you it was Peekaboo. For me, that was, for me it was that's how you could get um, Mew, Mew. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mew. Mew is one. Uh, I love the whole missing no thing. Yeah. Um, pushing the truck was would get you Mew because Mew's Pokeball was under the uh, the truck. Yeah. Um, the good old days when it was just so crazy. And now we have Banjo Kazooie <laughs> fighting Cloud Strife and Solid Snake in the fighting game on on Smash Bros. Yep. What a world. What a world we live in. Before it was all just random theories on the internet on GeoCities and whatnot, and now we're now we're here. One of the things um, that I, I think about uh, every now and then when I think of Final Fantasy VI, um, and like, I guess it still went on through it went through the PlayStation uh, One era, was like you could still rename all your characters in that era, mm-hmm. and so like mine would always be named after like my friends and stuff. I would or I would pretty much I always made myself Locke because I always thought he was the coolest. And I loved his love story with Celeste, and it still stands as like one of my favorite video game like romances. Uh, and so I would name like whatever girl was my crush at the time. I would rename mm-hmm. Celeste as her. Um, uh, and yeah, I would just have like my my group of friends would be like my party with me. And so uh, I would occasionally go back and look at like old saves and be like, who who are my friends this time? And I'd be like, I don't recognize that name at all. Who was that person? <laughs> uh. That was the that was the original Facebook. Who you named your party members? Yeah, that's who you really knew. Who your friends were? <laughs> None of this weird. like, oh, I'm gonna name my characters Butt or something silly like that. Yeah, it was it, like that's that was if you were love interest was always your crush. Exactly. 
You were always, you were always the, 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 pro- the protagonist, yeah. And yeah. In, in a game like this where there wasn't, like, a real central protagonist, like, mm. uh, aside from uh, arguably probably Terra, I guess. Um, uh, but yeah, it was like, oh, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna make myself Locke, because he's the first guy character I got, so. so mm-hmm. uh, and then I just ended up really liking him in general as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I remember um, like my one of my friends growing up, Brian, so I would name Edgar, um, mm-hmm. uh, and then like uh, our friend Luke was Sabin, um, and so yeah, like just my like my elementary school friends were just like littered throughout that game um, in terms of like character names. Also, great banter in this game. Like, there's some really good inner character banter, especially like. The whole Edgar flirting with like every every female character, or giving Locke shit because he's a thief. But no, I'm a treasure hunter. Yeah, um, I think they all they did all that very very well. Yeah, the the localization outside of because uh, I joked when I sent you the uh, the, the uh, audio file because uh, mm-hmm. that the me singing is the like original text which has been much better localized in uh in like distant worlds uh, albums and stuff mm-hmm. uh since then um uh but the original it's like oh yeah they they definitely like localized the text but didn't really put it to the melody of the song so but that's like one of the mm-hmm. like that's one of the the few like i think misses of localization in uh, in this i thought they did a really good job kind of um, mm-hmm. Like getting the the crux of who these people are uh, across, and and I like just like I love um, you, Spoony Bard from Final Fantasy IV. You mm-hmm. fuddy duddy, um, uh, that realm called Strago in this is like one of my favorite like weird go to insults. I like how uh, Cyan uses thou yeah. and stuff a lot, and then Gao gives him shit for it. Yeah, it, it's weird, like. It's one of those like I love I love that and I thought for forever oh he must be like of kind of like English nature and so it it wasn't until I was older and started like piecing together like oh no he's more of like a samurai so it's weird that like a samurai is talking like in old English but mm-hmm. whatever I bu- I go with it it's not, this isn't the yeah. real world anyway why not? so why not yeah old English samurai they're a thing in dope yeah they're old thing in. Before people, because I'm sure we probably have comments of, of some sort mentioning we haven't talked about it, this game has such good music. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The soundtrack is fantastic. So good. The uh, Yeah, the opera theme uh, is, is one of my favorite pieces of video game music ever, as well as um, like pretty much all of the character themes. And, mm-hmm. and one, of the, one of my favorite things that Distance, Distant Worlds has done recently... Um, I want to say it was on like one or two albums ago. They did basically like character medley from Final Fantasy VI, and it goes from like oh, cool. Terra's theme into the Returner theme into Kefka's theme, and and like it's like every one of those like they do such a great job of like giving you the tone mm-hmm. of who these characters are and, and how they feel, uh, and it's one of like I can just listen to that, and when the the music picks up with the uh, like the Returners or the um, uh, or, or like Setzer's kind of like the flying music and stuff it's just mm. like yeah i'm pumped and ready to go like i, I love yeah. uh, i love the character themes and just the music in general in this and, and so i i love that it's it has continued to evolve as they've uh, continued doing those distant worlds um, shows mm-hmm. okay tough question yeah dancing mad or one-winged angel <sighs> um 
I like I love Dancing Mad, but I don't go back and listen to it as much as I would go back and listen to One Winged Angel. Um, I think the orchestrations in, in One Winged Angel um, and and like the vocal mm-hmm. uh, soundtrack of it um, uh, just like blows me away still. Um, but there was um, uh, uh, John Phipps, one of uh, Mr. Megative on Twitter, yeah. who's one of the uh, other Final Fantasy VI diehards. He introduced me to a uh, a remix of Dancing Mad not too long ago that he found on on uh, YouTube that does some really cool and interesting things. So like they're both phenomenal. But I think I gotta, I, I gotta give the edge a little bit to uh, uh, to one winged angel. If any of the things we have talked about or the fans online have talked about, by the way, we had. Or I had so many fantastic memories. I wish I could have shared them all with all of you. It would it would have taken hours. So in the description of this episode, I will link leave the link to both threads over on Reddit that you can go over, add your own memories of Final Fantasy VI, and read everybody else's because there are some great ones. So shout out to everyone who sent in your memories. I very much appreciate it and love you for it. But yes, if any of the things we have said so far interest you in this game, perhaps you haven't checked it out or played it yourself, and you're wondering, man, Professor, where can I get this game? Well, I have good news for you, because it's actually really easy to still get this game. It's available on tons of different platforms digitally. You can still pick it up on the PlayStation 3, Vita, or PSP store, or that version of it, digitally for 10 bucks. You can pick it up on Steam for 16. I wouldn't recommend that version. It's kind of ugly and kind of wonky. It's not my go-to pick, but it is available to you. It is one of the easier ways to pick it up. It is 16. You can also pick it up on your mobile device. It's on the Android store for about eight bucks and seven bucks on Apple stores. But perhaps you like to have a collection and display all your games pretty like I do. So you can still get this physically. You can snag it in the Super Nintendo Classic that was released by Nintendo that this game is included. So I guess it's part physical, part digital. I'll let you decide what you consider that. The Game Boy Advance cart that we talked a bit about earlier, uh, it's a bit on the more expensive side because it did come out later in the Game Boy Advance life cycle. So it'll run you between 40 and 50 bucks, perhaps more complete. Be careful, though, there is a lot of reproduction carts out there, so if you are a collector, you want to be aware of whether or not the cart you are purchasing used is legit or not. I've, if you don't care, then I'm sure repro carts would serve you just well, and they will be cheaper. Just know that you're basically supporting pirates. Um, Super Nin- the Super Nintendo cart... Uh, obviously you can still get used. Some collectors will still have it new, but for a used cart, you're looking at somewhere between $40 and $50 for the U.S. price. And if for whatever reason you want to play the PlayStation 1 version of it in Final Fantasy Anthology, you can actually buy it brand new right now off of Amazon for $10. So, cool. It does have low times, yeah. but it's available to you. It has some really... Rockin' old uh, CG animations, <laughs> so you get 
you can enjoy those. Yeah, if I, and uh, if I were a betting man, uh, I would guess within the next few months this will be included in the um, SNES uh, on the Switch Online. Um, uh, if they don't just make it like a, a like a, a you can buy it download like they've done with so many of the other square games yeah i think i think we're gonna get square to release i think they're gonna release the mobile port on switch yeah that's what i feel it's gonna happen because square's doing that with a lot of their games right now and uh they seem to be selling well because i think final fantasy 8 the remaster that came out recently that hit number one on the charts for a week or so Mm. but i could see them doing that and not giving nintendo the money because they know people will buy it yeah so but anyway yes so let's assume you've picked up your pristine beautiful new final fantasy anthology collection from amazon and you're like okay but i don't quite know what i'm doing well we have some tips and advice for all you new players trevor if you'd like to what news or what tips and advice would you give new players uh, so I guess my first tip is don't be afraid to use a guide. Um, this definitely is a game that came out from an era before waypoints were a thing. And, and a lot of times, uh, games of this era are the, the only clues they're going to give you on where you're supposed to go next is maybe a stray bit of NPC dialogue. Um, so if you're like, if you're not diving into every nook and cranny, you might miss that. Um, I had a friend, uh, Brandon Gann, who's another friend of IP, um, he played through it uh, uh, for the first time a couple years ago, and he struggled a lot with that kind of stuff where he kept losing where he was supposed to go, and he, he couldn't figure that out. And it, I think it was a, a detriment to uh, to his personal experience in the game. So um, that's one I would uh, say, like, hey, yeah, like, in in the era, we were using Nintendo Power and stuff for, for tips and tricks on the game. So don't be afraid to to go out and find somebody else who's who's helped walk you through this. Um, then I know one of your tips is going to be about like customizing all your mm-hmm. characters. And I'm going to say to heck with yep. that, that tip. Um, <laughs> cause, uh, when the espers unlock, I would just basically like, I would rotate through which characters would get them. So I was always having my characters learn all the spells. Cause yeah, the esper system in this that we didn't really dive into too much is, is part stat increases and part that's how all of your characters learn magic in this world. Um, mm-hmm. and so I, as, as somebody that was, often like trying to keep all of my players balanced uh, more or less and I would use like the the cactar tricks and stuff um, uh, in the world of ruin to get like a whole bunch of magic points and stuff um, I would just like make sure that everybody was always learning new spells uh, and rotate them through the espers uh, for that um, and real quick if you're going to poo poo my tip we'll tell the will tell my tip but if you pay attention it specifically says to only do this after they've learned the spells oh okay oh yes yep and after the spells are learned so but yes once you unlock espers pay attention each esper or most of the espers will have a specific stat they will boost upon level up just a intrinsic plus one to strength or magic bonus or magic power to speed stuff like that it will every time you level up you'll get an additional snap point in that which can really help and is really one of the very few ways you can customize a character to try and meet a playstyle you want them to so what i was saying is after they've learned their spells because yes you want to have characters learn all the spells you can equip them with an esper 
that will with a stat bonus that will suit the playstyle you are going for that character. You don't necessarily want a magic stat or a magic boosting Esper equipped to Sabin necessarily, unless you for whatever reason really want him to be a magic de- damage dealer. I would instead you could instead have it equipped an Esper that boosts his strength upon level up, stuff like that. There isn't too much in ways of customizing each character individually in this game. Everyone's pretty much set, but this is one of the main ways you can kind of tweak characters to fit your play style. So Yeah, I guess I just also never got to the point where like my characters had all of the spells done, because uh, there are a lot of them where it's like, oh, you're going to learn this like one point at a time kind of thing, and be like, okay, well, i got to fight 100 battles to learn Meteor mm-hmm. or something like that. Uh, so I definitely never had all of my characters to the point where they did have all the spells. It was mm-hmm. just like, all right, they've got enough spells. I'm good to go. Time to take down Kefka. Yeah. <laughs> See, and I was kind of the same way. Like, I would never make sure that Sabin has all the spells that I would want. I would probably get make sure he has, like, healing spells, like life or some things like that. Maybe even haste. But then after that, just keep a plus two to strength boosting esper on him just going forward so yeah well it's a good strategy if you want to be a super nerd about it i guess <laughs> i'm doing a podcast about rpgs <laughs> i think i fulfill the the criteria for super nerd that's very fair so. uh, and then my last uh, tip is um if you're playing one of the original og versions i haven't tested this on the newer ones but there was an exploit where uh, so you could get the spells Vanish and X-Zone pretty early on in the game. Um, and when you cast Vanish on an enemy, it made them uh, invincible to like physical attacks. You couldn't hit them, but they were pretty much uh, guaranteed hits for magic. So if you used Vanish on an enemy and then used a spell like Death or X-Zone, uh, you could basically kill most of those bosses uh, and just regular fights instantly. So made, uh, made for some uh, easy strategy if you mm-hmm. don't feel like really putting in the work to take down some of those stupid bosses worked on yeah even worked on some big bosses some bosses were immune but it did work on a lot yeah and and, uh, and that's the using that is the best way when you're uh fighting in south of uh, i want to say albrook is the city uh there's like a little desert where you can fight cactors or uh zone passes uh if you use that like spell combination on those you can get uh, a lot of experience and uh magic points for some quick level grinding and and spell grinding there you go but that's in the world of ruin so you got you got some time before you can really uh uh use those tips are on to our monster of the week trevor what is your choice for monster of the week my monster of the week uh is uh ultros one of uh, one of the guests uh, uh mentioned him a little bit earlier um i loved ultros uh the uh the kind of smart alecky uh comic relief villain that you encounter multiple times throughout the game um in large part because like he was just fun and he ha- he's another one that like has good banter as you're fighting him and stuff um, like I remember if you cast spells on him in the first fight, he'll, he'll like respond and be like, ow, I'm burning the burn, ow, ow, or whatever. Uh, and he'll like throw ink back at your face and blind your characters or stuff like that. Um, but as you like continue to encounter him throughout the first half of the game, like he gets even his own weird little arc. Uh, cause you, you fight him, 
Uh, first on the raft, then you fight him at the uh, the opera where he's trying to. Uh, uh, is he trying to kidnap Celeste too, or, or no? He's trying to crush. Oh yeah, he's just yeah, he's just trying she, to ruin the opera. He has the four ton anvil. Yeah, yeah, he's just trying to ruin ruin uh, people's night at the opera. Um, uh, and then you fight him at the the cave of the espers, and that's the particular battle I'm I'm choosing for this uh, one uh, because like the end of that battle, he has like a weird like a uh, crisis of self when uh, the, the way of Uncle beating Hulting. that battle is Realm uses her sketch ability um, to uh, to kind of like draw him and he, he kind of panics about it. He's like, is that what I look like? Oh my God, I'm hideous. Uh, and, and Realm has this nice little moment where she tries to talk him up. He's like, no, you're not, you're not hideous. But also, yeah, I'm going to use my, my power to use your own attack against you. Mm-hmm. And that ends the fight. And just, I remember like, like every time I would do that, just be like, "That's such a weird novel thing to put in this game." Um, that uh, it just like it, it makes you feel for this character a little bit, um, and uh, and so yeah, he's just always one of the the memorable um, outside of obviously the big bad of Kefka, um, who we also didn't give like nearly enough love to, but he's uh, uh, I think my favorite, I, even more than Sephiroth, he is my favorite uh, Final Fantasy villain. Uh, he is a great. Because um, he's basically the Joker. He is just chaos mm-hmm. embodied, um, uh, down to even the clown uh, persona and stuff. Uh, and I just love that he wants nothing more than power and to like wreak havoc on everybody. And he does it in super sadistic ways. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, crazy. But uh, but uh, in terms of the more like just uh, smaller scale enemies in this, Ultros is uh, certainly one of my favorites. Perfect, perfect choice. And in the cave battle, Ultros will be level 25 with 22,000 HP and 750 MP. His attacks at 22, his magic stats at 7 with a defense of 95. His magic defense is a bit higher at 155, but he has no magic evasion, speed, hit rate, or evasion uh, in that fight. So, also in the older games, magic evasion didn't work, some stats didn't work. Just so you know. But, uh, and then let's see. And that, uh, yep, that's our old buddy Ultros at the Cave of the Espers. With the monster of the week out of the way, we are bringing this episode to a close once again. Thank you so much for coming on today. I know you touched a bit about uh, a bit on it at the start of the show, but what do you guys have coming up that we can expect from that nerdy site, or you personally? What can people look forward to? Uh, well, you can follow everything we're doing at that nerdy site at at that nerdy site on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Trevor J Starkey on Twitter, and uh, and yeah, those would be the two best places to kind of find what we've got kind of uh, in in the pipeline uh, with end of the year content coming up. We're going to have, <laughs> I'm sure, a ton of game of the year stuff coming uh, as well as our movie content, uh, anime. We're going to be talking about pretty much everything we, we love and everything we are nerdy for uh, in the coming weeks and months. So check us out at that nerdy site or at uh, or me at Trevor J. Starkey on Twitter. Perfect. Perfect. Well, be sure to give everyone. Be sure to give them a follow and listen to all their great content. They are uh, they're rock stars. So, 
thank you to all of those who have listened this far and to the end. You've returned light to the crystals and unlocked a new job class, so be sure to equip it. Be sure to rate and review us on your preferred podcast service, as each rating and review you leave will cause a leaf on the mana tree to bloom and restores balance and saves the world. Plus, we just really appreciate it. If you have an RPG you'd like to see us talk about or hear us talk about, tweet at IrrationalPod with the hashtag RPGU with what you'd like to see us do. You can, of course, find me on IrrationalPassions.com with a bunch of our good content and occasionally taking over our Twitch page at twitch.tv slash IrrationalPassions. And me personally, you can find me on Twitter at SolidSnake120. So thank you very much once again, Trevor, for stopping by. It was a lot of fun. And until next time, everybody, class dismissed.